Welcome, my flourishing friends. Today, I am so excited to bring you the conversation that I had with Greg Peterson. He's an online educator and the host of the wildly successful Urban Farm Podcast. He has been dedicated to regenerative acts of healing the earth and our food systems through permaculture and urban farming for the last 30 years. And I am so delighted that he was able to stop in for a chat to share some of his wisdom. It's really wonderful. Let's dive in. I'm Christina Hunter, and you are listening to the Live Well Green Podcast, all about sustainable well-being and green living. We explore how to do what is good for the planet and for ourselves in order to truly flourish. Well, thank you so much. We are so excited to have Greg Peterson here with us, also known as Farmer Greg. And he runs The Urban Farm, which is both an online education program as well as fruit tree education and services. Does that about sum it up, Greg? There you go. Absolutely. And actually, (laughs) The Urban Farm is also my house. I live right in the middle of Phoenix. If you stood on my roof and looked 50 miles in every direction, you would see houses or humanity. So I am right in the middle of Phoenix and the urban farm is, I've been here 32 years. It's 80 feet wide by 160 feet deep. And I do all kinds of things, permaculture and gardening on the property. I am so excited to get into this. It is such a novel idea because I think so often people just feel that they need a big acreage or they need space out in the country in order to do this. But what you are all about is actually making this happen in the urban context. And that's what your podcast is all about, the the urban farm. So why don't we start there? Can you tell us what you mean by urban farming And why are you so passionate about it? (laughs) Uh, Well, so we have a food problem on the planet. If you look at the data, we have about a three-day supply of food in any urban area. Wow. That's crazy. It's And I say it is. It really is. And I say we have a three-hour supply. And we've actually seen this happen a couple of times in the past year and a half with COVID and the big storm in Texas, where the grocery stores, once people got wind, of the grocery stores being out of groceries, the grocery stores were out of groceries within just a few hours. And Hmm. that is a food system issue that is of magnitudinal importance. And so that's why, that's a big reason why I chat with people about urban agriculture and urban farming. And urban farming is really super simple. It's about growing food in the city. And it can be in containers. I've seen container farms. And my friend Troy has True Garden. He's got a tower garden farm inside of a 5,000 square foot greenhouse. Uh, You can do aquaponics. You can do hydroponics. You can do in-the-ground gardening and in-the-ground farming. I have a friend here in Phoenix who has 40 acres of organic row crops here in in the Phoenix metropolitan Mm. area. 
And then there's my house. Hmm. And and really anybody that lives in the city can grow food. It can be as simple as basil Mm. in a pot on your windowsill. Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, if you want to be an urban farmer, grow food and share it. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. Grow food, even if share it with your family, you're an urban farmer, and then name your farm because naming your farm will bring life to the local food conversation. Well, that's an interesting idea that you you should name name your farm that that it's not just about growing food it's also about sharing it which I mean I truly enjoy being the beneficiary of for the, right? my, my many friends who do this and but naming it what's what's behind that naming your farm gives it life and you know if you if you walk up to somebody and I say hey I'm Greg Peters and I'm with the Urban Farm it's like people go. Urban farm? What's that? Tell me about that. You know, I have friends. Melanie has two fat cats apartment garden. <laughs> uh, so look what just happened. You laughed. It engaged the conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I had a tour here a few years ago, and I always ask how many people have named farms, and a woman stuck up her hand, and she said, our place is Jack's Beanstalk. <laughs> right? Yeah. Janice... Janice, who works as the manager of the urban farm, hers is two piece in a pod. <laughs> See what it's doing? It's bringing levity. It's bringing life. Yeah. It's bringing fun. And it, it will engage people. Yeah. It yeah. will engage people. I've seen it happen over and over again. So become an urban farmer, grow food, share it, name your farm. It's that simple. <laughs> and I love this idea of of naming it. That's That's also sort of owning it, that you are intentionally producing yes. food, right? That's your objective is to be part yep. of the solution. Right. Okay. Well, and there's, there's, a, there's a subtle change that happens when you go from being a gardener yes. to being a farmer. Because gardening is a hobby. Yes. Farming is a profession. It's, it's a little bit more serious. Huh. And I've, yeah, I've seen that over and over again over the years. I, I really like that idea of taking it to mean something really important and vital and that it is part of what we need to be doing all the time and well, if you, beyond if you, the hobby. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, we have to eat three times a day. Yeah. I like if we're that. out of food, if we're out of food, that's a problem. A lot of the food in the grocery stores is manufactured food product is what they literally, that's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> so given all of this and the shortages we've seen, the single most important thing we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and how to grow our own. Absolutely. And it's such a, I've always loved that aspect of connecting with the environment through food because it's, it's such a delicious, delightful, tangible way <laughs> that mm-hmm. we can connect with, with the natural world. Okay, so now you talk about your work being in the the area of wanting to help people to get more informed and empowered to participate more mindfully in their food systems. And I've taken that right off your website there. So why do you think that this is a necessary transformation, this part about empowerment, participating, and participating more mindfully? Tell me about the importance of that. Yeah, so first of all, Ponder for a moment, who owns our food? Mm. Do you realize that food used to be free? 
I guess so. Yeah. It just grew everywhere. In fact, right. I had so in 1991, there was several things that happened for me mm. in my food space and in, in my career. So again, I was 30 years old. I discovered permaculture, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little while. I read a book called Ishmael oh, by yes. Daniel Quinn. Yes. That, that will change your life. And he talks about how we became what we are as a human species and how food has gone from being free to something that people lock up. Hmm. So Daniel Quinn, Ishmael, go read it. The third thing that happened for me was I did a seminar at Landmark Education and it was their advanced course and they had me create a vision for my life. And what I created, now remember this is 31, 30 years ago that I did this. And what I created was I am the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. Now that doesn't come to me, that doesn't come to me as a, as a heavy weight that gets me up in the morning. It's like, Oh, I can do this. Now, am I going to do it all myself? No, I'm not going to do it all myself. I have to have, I have to empower as many people as possible, which is what the podcast is about and which what, what your podcast is about. But going back to your question, the fourth thing that happened for me Hmm. in 1991 was a friend of mine went for a sailing trip, I think in the Bahamas or South Pacific somewhere and they anchored on an island looking for a grocery store and people looked at them kind of funny. Remember, this is 1991, just 30 years ago. Yeah. And they were looking for a grocery store and the people looked at them and they said, uh, go pick your own. And for me, exciting. Yeah, for me with Ishmael and Landmark and Permaculture, that was like the icing on the cake of, oh my gosh, food is free. In fact, if we look at the amazing abundance Mm. around what grows just in my yard, there's a picture of my yard behind me. Mm -hmm, And (laughs) if if we look at the amazing abundance, there is so much to harvest. We just need to figure out what to do with it. And that's for me, that's where the mindfulness piece comes in. My partner, Heidi is a yoga teacher. Mm. And so she teaches mindfulness And for me, mindfulness is being conscious of what we have right in the moment. Right now, and right now, and right now. Be present right now. And life is a journey, not a destination. I think that was a quote from Steve Jobs somewhere along the way. (laughs) But our job in being mindful is to stay present right now, and right now, and right now, and right now to what's happening, you know, in our conversation, I'm not off with my cell phone. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm not uh, out in the yard building a compost pile, which is what I was doing this morning. What I'm doing right now, very mindfully is I'm being fully 100% present with you in this conversation and being mindful, being present to our food, our food system our local food economy that I call it is the single most important thing we can be doing right now as a culture, figuring that out because we can have a storm. We can have a pandemic and all of a sudden the food's gone and the people that have it locked up have control of it. You know what? That's an amazing 
quote that I, I really love hearing that this is the most important thing that we can be doing right now, being mindful and being present with our food and our food system, that it's so incredibly important because it does reach into so many realms of mm -hmm. environmental impact, but also human well-being oh, and yeah. social justice and restorative aspects of and regenerative ways of living on the earth. And, and as you like to, to talk about and describe, and um, I think this is a really important consideration for us to, to be really truly present and mindful with it. And I think to me that sometimes is the piece that's missing the mm -hmm. mindfulness. It's great to do these things and to be get to get involved in living a greener life, but connecting it somehow to how it's natural for us, how we are beings of this planet and we're interacting with other beings of this planet in all kinds of ways, in really physical ways. And yeah. our food is is that direct connection. And to really appreciate that and engage in that relationship in a mindful and very, yeah, appreciative way, I think is is incredibly good for us as we seek to live greener. And it, it goes far beyond the green living techniques. <laughs> and it gets into right. who we are as humans, I think. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so I I really deeply appreciate that uh, description that you have there. So why don't we just get a little bit into some of the basics, if you don't mind. What do you suggest that people really need to pay attention to when they're just getting into urban farming? Well, I'm going to actually step a little bit into permaculture. I know you have that on Great. the list farther down. Thank uh, you. But one of the basic premises of permaculture is observation. Mm -hmm. So when, when you're starting out looking to grow your own food, because that's really what we're talking about, mm -hmm. you want to spend some time with your space where you're going to grow and see what you have to deal with. I give a, I give a course called Jumpstart Your Urban Farm, mm -hmm. and it's really an, a class on observing your space and discovering what your space has to offer you. The single biggest thing you can do wrong when you're starting to grow food is putting your garden in the wrong place. Yes. Yeah. You know, in the uh, Northern Hemisphere, if you put your garden on the north side of a structure, mm -hmm. it's likely not going to get much or any sun and things won't grow. Mm -hmm. So being aware of what's happening in your space. And I tell people on June 21st and on December 21st, go out in your yard and look to see where the sun comes up at in the morning, yeah, where it's at at noon and where it goes down at night. And that will inform you of so much about how things are going to grow in your yard. Yeah. I, I think that's such a, a lovely description. I mean, of course, it's collecting data, really, but it's exactly. also being present in the space and paying attention to the details yeah. because we're getting into here sort of the microclimate and the the real aspects that are, are vital to, to life. You know, if you're going to grow things, we need to talk about sunlight mm -hmm. hours and shade and all that, but it's also 
taking a little bit of a slower approach, it seems to me, that yes. you're spending time to observe. Yeah. Be I, in that space, yeah. Yeah, I tell people, spend at least a year observing in your yard before you make any major changes. That doesn't mean you can't plant a garden. Mm-hmm. But if you have some nice trees on your property that have been there for 10, 20, 30, 50 years, don't go cutting them down until you know you've been on the property for a year and know what they're offering you. Yes. Oh, I would love that if people did that more often. Right? <laughs> yeah, I had uh, I had one of my neighbors, the house sold about 10 years ago. And here in the, here in the desert southwest, a western exposure is brutal in the summertime. That a Western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown. And within a week of them moving in the yard, moving into their house, yeah. their front yard, which faces west, they were out there taking down 80-year-old trees, Oh my gosh! which was their summertime shade. Yeah. And just increasing their cooling costs as a result. Exactly. Exactly. So Making it all less pleasant for, yeah. for themselves and everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we yes. call that a class one error. You don't want to make any class one errors. And you, you do that. So the thing you mentioned earlier, microclimates. Mm-hmm. Microclimates are climates in your yard that are cooler or warmer, that are windier or less windy. Mm-hmm. And part of what you want to be observing for is where are those spaces? And here in the desert, concrete, gravel, block walls, those all make hotter microclimates. So we here in the desert, we want to avoid those. Maybe not so much up where you're at, but <laughs> it's just something to pay attention to. Yeah. It's like, how is that impacting my space? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really uh, lovely to get tuned in to our place and all of that, the different aspects that will influence what mm-hmm. the plant needs. And that, that definitely resonates with what I've heard before about, you know, really paying attention to those key elements that, right. that plants require. Okay, so why don't we get into that permaculture question a little mm-hmm. bit more? What, what is permaculture and why is it so beneficial? So permaculture is a design methodology mm-hmm. developed by David Holmgren and Bill Mollison. In fact, I was so lucky last year I got David Holmgren on my podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was an amazing interview. (laughs) And they developed it in the, I'm going to say the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they simply looked at nature and natural systems to see how they worked. And then they mimicked them. Yeah. You know, Janine Benyus wrote Biomimicry. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's along the same lines. I like to call, everybody has their own definition of permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature rather than against nature? We human beings think that we should know how to do better than nature. And Toby Hemingway, mm-hmm. when he was alive, used to say, uh, nature always bats last. <laughs> nature will always win. Yes. We as human beings need to get that. Yes. That nature will always win. Yes. Absolutely. I love that. The art and science of working with nature. Okay. So we're going to spend time in the space to understand. We're going Mm -hmm. to actually gather data in terms of of temperature, wind, uh, sunlight, um, and that type of thing. And what does that mean in terms of planting and planning out what what this permaculture farm would look like? Great question. And 
one of the things, so one of the things that we do here in the desert is we're always looking for that Western shade. Mm-hmm. So what I would encourage people to do is look to see what are the most important things for you to deal with short-term and long-term in your space. In the desert, it's heat. And in the desert, it's afternoon heat. So what we're looking for here in the desert is how can we mitigate that afternoon heat? And I talk to people all the time about there's paid for shade. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of shade that you actually put up in the form of shade sails or patios or that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or there's planted shade. The wall right outside my office here is on the west side of my house. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, I planted a Pakistani mulberry up against it. And now in the summertime, that Pakistani mulberry shades that entire wall. Yes. So that significantly, first of all, it gives me Pakistani mulberries, which are amazing. Okay. It, sh- it looks beautiful. Yes. So aesthetically, it's pleasing. It shades the western wall of my house. Yes reducing the amount of air conditioning that I have to spend to cool the space, saving me money. This is a concept in permaculture called stacking functions. We have an asset. In this case, the asset is the mulberry tree, and it is giving me food. It gives me mulch in the wintertime when it loses its leaves. Mm -hmm. It shades the building. So it's, it's an asset that does multiple things for me. So as your processing through your space, Mm -hmm. you need to plan for those things that are most important for your space. Water is another issue in the desert here. And so I'm always looking to collect rainwater, collect gray water, collect condensation water. And Mm -hmm. so one of the first things that I do when I do a garden consult with people here in the desert is I look to see where their water is at, where it's coming from, because it just doesn't come from the city or a well. It comes from rainwater and gray water and, you know, on and on and on and on. And then how to direct that water into the landscape so that it becomes usable. Now, those are two of our big issues, shade and water. You know, if you live in a wooded area, it could very well be that a fire sector. Mm-hmm is your big issue. So you're going to have to figure that one out. If you live in a rural area, uh, electricity might be, you know, one of the issues that you need to look at is, you know, do you have electricity to the property? So really, first and foremost, I tell people, spend a year observing your space Mm -hmm. and then address those big things first. Okay. So these are inherent to the place. It's It's got something to do with your local growing conditions that we need to uh, be able to optimize, regardless of whether you're in the desert and mm-hmm. concerned about high, high heat, especially in the afternoon, or water scarcity. So that's those are the fundamentals we're going to plan for. And in mm-hmm. my climate here in Manitoba, we're probably going to plan for some you know, shelter during wintertime to capture some of that moisture and shelter us from high winds, that type Mm -hmm. of thing, and optimize a short growing season. So those might be some of our fundamental things, I'm going to guess. Very good. Absolutely. And so for for you putting a, in Manitoba, putting a a greenhouse on a Western exposure Mm -hmm. would be really good. Okay. 
a Western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown. Remember? Yeah. So exactly. in the desert, it's the hottest part. Yeah. In Manitoba, you're going to want to capture it. that heat. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You know, and so I, in I, permaculture, yeah. permaculture isn't a thing to do. Mm-hmm. Although there are a lot of things that we've talked about that are to do. Permaculture, remember I said permaculture is a design methodology. Okay, yes. And you observe nature and then you plan and build out systems that work for your space. So permaculture can be done anywhere, number one. Mm -hmm. It's about observation and planning systems that benefit the space where you're living. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that, you know, I live here where I'm at a mile away from me. Yeah. It's still the same client climate ish, mm-hmm. but they're going to have way different problems than I have. My next door neighbor could have different challenges than I have. Permaculture, just like nature is very place specific. And that's why I tell people go observe, go spend time paying attention to what's going on in your garden. Hmm. Okay, good. And do we factor into that as well? When we think permaculture? Are we thinking about our needs and desires? I, I like this berry, or I don't like that? Is that part of it? Or is it really focused first on the natural setting? And then secondarily, our, our interests? Where, where are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't say secondarily our interests. Okay. <laughs> you have to plan a space that works for you. Okay. So just as importantly as it is working with nature, mm. it is to address your your desires. Okay. Because that has to fit in. People will ask me, Greg, what kind of fruit tree should I plant? Mm. I can't tell you that. I can tell you what grows here in the desert. Yeah, yeah. But what do you love? Right, yes. You should be like only ever right growing there. things that you love. Period. End of story. If you're not going to use them, right? Why bother? <laughs> okay. Well, maybe it's not so bad that my rhubarb has not been all that successful because I don't have a lot to do with it, anyways. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There we go. And that's so. There, there's a learning point as well. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> that that is absolutely a learning point. People come to me and they say, "I have a, you know, I have a brown thumb. I have a black thumb. I kill things." Well, you only kill things because you don't understand. This, the, the rules behind growing food in your space. So what I do in our online courses at Urban Farm U is I teach people how to think about how to live in their space. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what or how to grow in Manitoba. I don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I can give you all kinds of clues and all kinds of ideas on how to look to see what what to grow and how to grow it. Mm-hmm. I just can't tell you exactly how to do it. I can tell you how to look to find out how to do it. And yeah. that's what we do in permaculture. We look at the space, we look at the climate, we look at the conditions, and then we work in the flow of the system. That is really exciting. And I, I love that because it means it's not 
necessarily prescriptive and it's not the same everywhere. And I have long argued that sustainability is not one thing either. And I know we've talked about this word already, sustainability, that it's it's probably not the the thing to aim for, but and you you really- Yeah, you want a sustainable relationship. (laughs) Right, exactly. We really go for something that we're looking at as being regenerative and restorative and so on. But nonetheless, I think that these ideas are things that are different depending on the scenario, on your local context, on your environment, on the socioeconomics of the situation, on mm-hmm. you know, your food preferences, on all of that. And to me, that makes sense when we talk about permaculture also being a system and not prescriptive. Because I, I do think that that idea of being, you know, living well on the earth doesn't have just one solution, right? It has a multitude of solutions. Right depending on the scenario and Mm -hmm. where your priorities are and so on. So that's really exciting to think about it in that context. Do you want to just help us out a little bit with this concept of being regenerative with our actions Mm. through permaculture? Yeah. So let's start with uh, the word sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I think sustainable and the concept of sustainability is a very valuable concept for our culture Mm. and i don't like it (laughs) i don't like the word i don't like the concept and you know we touched on it just a minute ago yeah as to why and when i took my permaculture design course i learned two very important words degenerative and regenerative Mm -hmm. and ever and i have looked for over 30 years for human systems that are regenerative. And I challenge your listeners to email me if they find a human system that is regenerative because I've been looking for 30 years and I cannot find them. Yeah. That means they're all human systems are degenerative. You know, and William McDonough talked about cradle to cradle and what that all means. And that's really the direction we're going with this. There's the first concept, cradle to grave, which means this microphone I'm speaking into, it'll be good for a certain amount of time and then it's going to break down and then it's going to have to get thrown away. This chair, this desk, the car, our roadways, the pipelines, our gas lines, our medical system, these are all systems that humans have created that break down over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, linear. They're linear, they're degenerative. Now, I really want your listeners to think about that for a moment. Mm -hmm. Every human system is degenerative. That means every human system has an end. Every human system will end. Those are degenerative assets. Regenerative assets are assets that recreate themselves, that build on themselves. And the place, this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, the place to find regenerative assets isn't in the human condition, mm. it's in nature. Yes, absolutely. Natural. What happens to a natural system if it becomes degenerative? It, it ends. Continue, right. It's yeah. right, it ends. And yeah. I just want your listeners for a moment to, to really ponder this conversation we're having every single human system that has ever been created is degenerative 
it breaks down and goes away. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. For humans, anyways. Nature will be just fine. <laughs> yeah. The, the physical structures that we build and yeah, the, the, everything. the food system, as you talk about, and mm -hmm. our, oh, well, even our towns and cities, you know, we've already... You know, we can already look back in in terms of the archaeological record and see <laughs> what what remains, and it's not much. So, yes, we know what we're building is transient. And I think maybe one of the biggest problems is that we don't think about that, and we don't think about the impact of those things. Exactly. Uh, you know, this this microphone that we're <laughs> you're speaking into, I'm speaking into one. How long will it last? What were the impacts of it, and so on. And beyond that, we think solely in terms of can I afford it or is it accessible to me in that way? But mm -hmm. we rarely consider the throughput, where it ends up. Yes. And so with permaculture, we're we're rethinking that system and we're looking yes. to be regenerative. So now our bell peppers no longer come wrapped in plastic. They <laughs> they come from a place that can continue to deliver that that good, that service in a way that doesn't deteriorate over time. So now we're looking to also support a system so that it, it gets better and stronger, right? Yes. Isn't that, that's kind of what we're looking for. And it doesn't accumulate waste because, of yes. course, we know in nature there's no real waste, right? <laughs> right, right. In nature, there's no such thing as waste. It's a resource for another system. Yeah. So we're looking to optimize conditions, it sounds like, with, with permaculture yeah. that we can allow this to become this natural circular economy, right. if we can want to call it yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, 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 and in, in permaculture, we're looking at nature, mm -hmm. which creates regenerative systems pretty much primarily. Mm -hmm. And how can we observe, remember the first premise of permaculture, how can we observe systems and then ride on their coattails to start creating our own regenerative systems. And, and remember earlier I said that it's a journey, not a destination. Mm. Regenerative system design in the human condition is a journey. Okay. I, don't, I don't believe that we can actually create truly regenerative systems in the human condition. I don't think it's possible. So what that means for us is that what we do is we spend time designing systems to be more regenerative rather yeah. than regenerative. So working towards the the adding to a system that works and adding to human knowledge of how to do this in our present day context, where I think we've probably lost so much of this knowledge, right? Yeah. We've just been recently, you know, really only in the last few decades, when you think about it, that we've been so divorced from our food supply, mm -hmm. that we've never had this before in human history. And now with permaculture, we get to try to connect and regain that knowledge and set the, the path <laughs> for others, right? Going in this right. direction in the future. Okay. All right. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm I'm really enjoying this concept and exploring it with you. Um, Thanks. I'm having fun too. Well, this is this is a lot of fun. Why don't we just get into some top 
ways to start on this. If you wanted to chat with somebody new to these concepts and somebody who was interested in starting a successful urban farm on their own little property, mm-hmm. uh, wherever that is all around the world, what would you give them as your your top three or four tips for successful urban farming? Uh, number one, observe. And I would say take some kind of permaculture classes so that you can start getting a sense for yourself of what permaculture is. Mm-hmm. And in that observation piece, make sure if you want to go grow a garden, which I think everybody probably should, mm-hmm. not that I would should on them, but grow a garden, <laughs> find out in that observation piece, find out the best place on your property to grow a garden. The next thing is grow healthy soil. Growing healthy soil is the single most important thing anybody can do to successfully grow things, is have healthy soil. And I've seen it over and over and over again that people plant a garden in dirt, which Mm -hmm. is one component of healthy soil, (laughs) and they fail at it. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you for this opportunity. Five components of healthy soil. Oh, okay. This is the most important thing that I teach. Okay. They are dirt, which is broken down rock. But if all you have is dirt, good luck growing anything. They're just inorganic then. Right. And and dirt has a lot of minerals in it. Mm. But if, if there's not the other four components, the plants can't access those minerals. So good luck growing anything. Right. So dirt... So, and this is, this is a prescription for healthy soil, dirt, airspace. So there's some fluff to it. Mm-hmm. It has to be moist. Mm-hmm. So dirt, airspace, water, mm-hmm. organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. Mm-hmm. Now, the good news is the fix for broken dirt is mm-hmm. to add organic matter. Yes. Add compost, add planting mix. Uh, What I do with my gardens here at the Urban Farm every year is I add two to four inches of compost on top of my garden beds pretty much every year. I'm just adding organic, you know, organic compost right on top. So that's the second biggest thing. In fact, if your listeners are interested, I put out a series of videos at healthysoilhacked.com. Okay. They can go download those videos and watch watch multiple ways to grow healthy soil. The third thing to do is find a planting calendar for your area. Okay. You cannot rely on big box stores and some to most local nurseries to be carrying the plants that are seasonal, environmentally appropriate mm. for your area. <laughs> yeah. We plant broccoli in September, October, November here. Oh, nice. And often in March, April, and May, I can go into a big box store and they will be selling broccoli, which means you take that broccoli home, put it in the ground, and in about three weeks, it's gone to flower and not done anything for you Mm -hmm. because of the heat. So you have to be really conscious about what to plant when and what to plant to make sure that it's climate appropriate for your place. You said before we started recording, you have an apricot tree. 
that mm-hmm. never makes any apricots. Yeah. No. It is likely the wrong kind of apricot tree <laughs> yeah. for your area. Yeah. There are climate appropriate fruit trees and plants for every area. So you need to discover what that is. And the biggest, the best way to do it for vegetables is type in into a search engine the name of your city and planting calendar. Great. And see what comes up. I am sure that there will be one. And that will give you a really good idea on what to plant when. Yeah, like that. Perfect. Oh, that that is absolutely wonderful. And I I've heard this before, and I love that you brought us back to the soil and yes. reminded us that mm-hmm. it's not just dirt. I um you don't know this, but I, I did a master's in soil science. What it was oh, really nice. about uh, well, it was more toxicology focused and but nonetheless, I spent many hours in a classroom that had a sign on the wall that said Never treat soil like dirt. Dirt, yep. <laughs> exactly. Different, right? And so, reminding us that the, the that involves the mineral component, the dirt, as mm-hmm. well as the the space in between the components, that interstitial space, and the requirement for water, organic matter. And then all the living things, the soil bacteria. And that's really important. And adding your compost gets you, well, often two parts of that, right? Because you're adding organic matter as well as some of those natural uh, bacterial components that we need in the soil. So that's really lovely. Okay, so we're going to observe. We're going to take a permaculture class, which clearly I could use. And um, we're going to look at creating healthy soil and finding a planting calendar for our area and and just get going with it get get a garden started and And there's uh, there's there's one more thing okay one more yes make sure that you are watering appropriately okay more often than not people overwater their plants to death Uh, okay so and you're gonna have to discover that there are moisture meters and soil probes and tools that you can buy so just be cognizant of how much you water more often than not, even in the desert, mm-hmm. people are killing their fruit trees because they water them too much. Oh, how interesting. Okay. Yeah. And that gets to knowing your place and knowing the needs of the plants you're growing. Exactly. Oh, I love it. That This has been very wonderful, and I'm very excited. I'm uh, We're still at the stage of doing some planning here and just starting some seats uh, in, indoors right now. So I yeah. think this is a wonderful chat to have and has been extremely inspiring for me. And it's been a real treat for me to speak to somebody like you, Greg, who has this vast wealth of knowledge and uh, has been immersed in the world of permaculture and growing food in the urban environment for such a long time. So I I thank you so much. Where can people find you and your podcast, The Urban Farm? So healthysoilhacked.com is the the link for the soil videos. Our podcast is at urbanfarmpodcast.com. We put out two podcast episodes a week. And we put out over 600 of them to date and uh, (laughs) lots and lots and lots of content there. 
Well, I'm, I'm a big fan. I do love your podcast and I'm learning a lot, I have to say. And kudos to you for putting out two a week. I'm, I'm only at, uh, in the sixties right now of my podcast episodes. So I'm still a baby That's in this right. case. That's all good. But I hope maybe one day I can contribute to your podcast as well. And I'll just put that out there on, <laughs> on the record for you. Nice. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our chat and I hope our paths cross again. Maybe we can have you back in the future. I'd love that. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much to Greg Peterson of the Urban Farm Podcast. It was a wonderful chat, and I really appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom with us. That's all for now. If you are interested in exploring these issues further, please head on over to my website. It is Christina Hunter Flourishing, and that's Christina with a K. There, you'll find all kinds of free downloadable resources, including my Sustainable Wellbeing Starter Kit and a Green Home Guide. While you're there, sign up for my newsletter. It is full of inspiration and news from the flourishing community. And if you are looking for a great way to send a gift to a friend with cancer, please check out the unexpectedgiftbox.com. Finally, if you like what you are hearing, please leave me a review wherever you get your podcasts. And I would love to see what you are doing in your own urban farm. Please just tag me on social media at KH Flourishing. I would love to see examples of your little home, orchard, garden, or vineyard, or whatever it might be. All right, I can't wait to talk to you again. Until then, live well green, my flourishing friends. Bye for now.